Welcome to the Built On Air Podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. In each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern and join our active community at BuiltOnAir.com. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OnToAir Backups. OnToAir Backups provides automated Airtable backups to your cloud storage for secure and reliable data protection. Prevent data loss and set up a secure Airtable backup system with OnToAir Backups at OnToAir.com. As one customer, Sarah, said, Having automated Airtable backups has freed up hours of my time every other week and the fear of losing anything. Longtime customer David states, OnToAir backups might be the most critical piece of the puzzle to guard against unforeseeable disaster. It's easy to set up, and it just works. Join Sarah, David, and hundreds more Airtable users like you to protect your Airtable data with OnToAir backups. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OnToAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome back to the Built on Air podcast. It's good to be back with you after a month off. We are now starting season 16, episode one of the Built on Air podcast. Uh, Dan Fellers here with regular host Camille Parks and Ali Alosa. Good to see both of you back. Hello. Had eventful uh, Septembers, I assume. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes, I have. (laughs) And uh, Ali will have an eventful October with us. I will. I'll be here as long as I can be here. Uh, But I am due on Halloween with my first baby. So exciting stuff. So we may get a few more episodes uh, with Ali. I assume you'll take some time off. I don't know. Maybe you'll be back the week after. (laughs) We'll see. I might not be able to stay away. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. But uh, good to have you both back. And we have special guest with us, Garrett. Good to have you, Garrett. Thank you. Good to, good to have you on the show. We'll, we'll learn more about Garrett and his story later in the show. But um, I'll walk you through what we're going to be talking about today. As always, we will continue our, our normal format. We'll start with our Round the Bases what's going on in Airtable. This month has been uh, very active, lots of stuff going on that we've got to talk about. And then we'll do a spotlight on OnToAir backups. Um, OnToAir is now focused entirely on backups. We have a new screen for the season and we'll talk about backups and then we'll learn more about uh, Garrett. Uh, Logren, is that how you say your last name? Uh, it's close enough. Lochran is how Lochran. I've been called the pronunciation, but I'm not quite sure where that came from. <laughs> All right. We'll visit with uh, Garrett, learn his story and how he found Airtable. Then Garrett's going to be walking us through a live um, example of how he uses Airtable in his day-to-day business and work. And then a shout out to join our community. And then finally, Camille is going to walk through using Airtable with N8N, if you've heard of that tool NAN.io, I believe, is the website. And uh, we'll do that. So let's kick off with our round the bases. 
All right. There was a somewhat uh, interesting um, incident that happened. Middle of September, we got a message from the CEO of Airtable. I think it this first hit Forbes, I think was where it first hit massive layoffs at um, Airtable. 237 people out of what close to a thousand so i think it was 27 percent or something like that something close yeah so massive massive layoffs um mostly impacting uh, implementation specialists sales people and really just doubling down, focusing on Airtable, um, how he makes it very clear of what their focus is going forward and focusing on, on enterprise um, customers. So um, yeah, very, very unfortunate, sad to hear for those that, that were let go. And um, there is lots of reaction. I'll just quickly go through. We won't talk about all of them, but lots of reaction. Um, about that, lots of discussion on the built on air community. There was, um, oh, that's not live anymore. Um, ben and Chris did a live show talking about it on the Facebook community. Um, it was discussed on the Airtable forums. We'll talk a little bit about this later, but, anyways, lots of discussion obviously everywhere. Thoughts, reaction when you heard this news? Uh, since the link's not live anymore, I can I watched it and I can, might be able to paraphrase a little bit of what the Ben and Chris live stream was. I don't want to put words in their mouth, but what I recall from their sort of analysis is that one, this isn't the first time Airtable has said we're going to focus on enterprise. They said it last year, and I think it was also coupled with some layoffs, and this one was coupled with even more layoffs, and we're going to even more focus on enterprise. And so Chris was saying. He wasn't really surprised in that, you know, he's been saying it for a while now. They're going to gung-ho on Enterprise. And Ben was saying this might end up being a blessing in disguise for the people on the consulting side in Airtable, meaning that, you know, you can't get support from Airtable now if you're on the Teams plan, formerly known as the Pro plan. So who are you going to come to? The Airtable consultants. And so it's going to shift a lot of people to be more focused on that. They also sort of quelled some fears about the um, API limitations that were put on it. It was really kind of, um, you know, it's their opinion and an opinion of many people that there's certain types of businesses that are going to be hit by the API limit. Um, and the a good majority of Airtable users, your day-to-day -day kind of folks, and the smaller sort of businesses that don't have a lot of third-party integrations are probably going to be fine with regard to the new API limitations. And so those were some of the sentiments thrown around. And of course, you know, from a more negative side, it sucks when people lose their job. It, you know, it's just not great that it was a considerable amount of people. Um, there was, uh, you know, talk on LinkedIn, every, you know, all of the people who were recently laid off, but there's some good, uh, camaraderie in like the post Airtable alumni program. I'm just going to call it because they all sort of are grouping together and trying to help each other refocus. So. Any other feedback? Super sad. Um, 
I know a lot of clients that this this made them pretty nervous to see, especially on top of the layoffs layoffs that happened in December. Um, I can only hope that we had to see some positives out of it somehow. Um, but yeah, I feel for everybody that was laid off. Yeah. It feels like the positives are going to be on the side of, you know, the, the enterprise level customers. Cause that's, that's where they're saying they're going to put a lot of focus and effort into. There's mm -hmm. got to be a lot of, in my opinion, improvements for uh, Airtable as an enterprise product for me to take this with, you know, the seriousness it might deserve in that they've made improvements this year with uh, Enterprise Hub and things like that for bulk user management. But as an enterprise product, there are several elements that are still lacking. And I feel like this move feels immature. Had they made more, not immature, um, what is it? Premature. Yeah. Sorry, premature. Um, had they made some of those more improvements, um, improving it as a product for enterprise, this would have it made more sense to me. Now it just feels like, oh, we're going to focus on enterprise eventually. Well, yeah. It's, it, there's <laughs> some of the language in there was a Forbes article where they had some quotes from Howie where it was a little like, okay, like they're basically were like, we're not interested in the tens of thousands a year clients. We're interested mm -hmm. in the million dollar a year clients. It's like, okay, well, I can understand that to a point, but to Camille's point, they're they're not quite there's a lot missing for them to be a true million dollar a year enterprise product, like a lot of security compliances and record limits. That's like huge. Mm -hmm. Um but hopefully we see those things start to change. Pretty yeah. Quickly. Yeah. What um, what would you say to SMB business owners that are considering Airtable or on Airtable? How did how what what advice would you have to people in that kind of bucket as far as like using Airtable? And Garrett, maybe this is a question for you as a as somebody in that space. How does this make you feel long term, stability wise, comfort level? I think with any software, any, you know, uh, service as a software, if you will, um, I get kind of nervous. Like I just assume it's not going to last like my entire career. So mm -hmm. yeah. I don't expect it. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's in a weird place for me because it's not like Airtable is a poor product. It does a lot of things very well. And I think it's better suited for small business, even if that's not who their target customer is anymore. I think it is still a good product for um, launching and prototyping um, businesses and, and different workflows and things using Airtable. Um, but it is unwise to put all of your eggs in one basket uh, because, you know, in the world of tech, Sometimes companies just disappear. I see we have some tabs lined up for the artist formerly known as Twitter, and sometimes companies make odd decisions. And so, you know, if you're starting, you know, if you don't already use Airtable and you're starting, um, I wouldn't discourage you from learning, but I would, you know, advice from Bill French, who's a friend of the show, is to really think critically about what your business requirements are. What do you need for your business and try to find the best tool or tools that get you to that point. Um, a lot of the time is going to be Airtable. 
Sometimes it's not going to be Airtable. And whatever you decide upon, make sure you got some contingencies in place in case they start saying things like this. We're not your target customer anymore. You know, you want to be mobile, agile. In other quotes from, I believe I'm thinking of, remember the Titans. (laughs) Very good. Uh, Scott mentioned Steve Jobs knew the way to take over an industry was to focus on small businesses and individuals. iPhone took over enterprise from the bottom up. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyways, lots of lots of reaction. Um, I know I know Chris. I also listened to, to the episode and Chris had um, Chris kind of like settled down fears. He was like, you know, if, I, I wouldn't worry too much. I think there will be clarity. Um, going forward, hopefully. So the next thing, um, I first saw this on shout out to Table Forums, a great online source to see conversations about Airtable. Um, and Bill French, who you talked about, Camille, um, he he likes to pontificate often. And shout out to his, his um, blog and newsletter if you want to get the latest from, from his brain, you should, you should subscribe to that. But um, this, this kind of was an interesting take and it led me down kind of a rabbit hole. And we'll talk a little bit about this. Um, so he wrote, he wrote a blog post talking about the financials of what's publicly available and what we know and what it might mean for Airtable. Um, and so he references first the all in podcast, which is a very popular tech podcast of, some venture capitalists and entrepreneurs um, in the Silicon Valley world talking about Airtable specifically and referencing a Twitter thread or a, an X thread um, from Anon who runs uh, CB Insights. So very, very influential um, financial um, person that, uh, that um, is talking about this. And he ran an analysis based off of a number that he got from somewhere that Airtable's um, ARR was 150 million. And based off of that number, did some analysis that basically showed that it may not even be worth, you know, a tenth of what it was last valued at its last round, um, last investment round, where it was valued almost at $12 billion. So there is some interesting back and forth here. If you go through this thread, lots of responses. This is somebody that, you know, is influential in the world of investing. And so he got um, feedback from people. One of them was uh, Max, who is actually on the board of Airtable and basically said, this is wildly inaccurate data um, and sent him a DM to talk about it. So then Anon, um, responded and based off of that gave some more updated um, information. Actually, this is, let's see, where is, um, shoot, this is not the one. Um, Yeah, he gives an updated analysis here, no. Shoot. He did give an updated analysis using a number more around 300 million. So, but he doesn't say if he got that directly from Max. He says Max couldn't share specifics. So 
based off of the feedback that he got, I also saw uh, comments in there from current um, Airtable um, employees saying that the numbers were wildly wrong. And so somewhere there's, um, you know, numbers floating out there of, of what their numbers might be. But assuming based off of his updated that it might be closer to 300 million, that still gives a pretty high valuation, but not nearly as bad as, as the original analysis. So anyways, lots of discussion. There was another thread of somebody else who kind of gives a counter example um, based off of his understanding of secondary markets and where things are at. So anyways, lots of discussion in the Twitterverse, Xverse of um, where things are at, how bad it is, um, you know, what the layoffs might be indicating as far as the stability of Airtable. So, and, and what their plans are, but, you know, nobody knows the truth. Nobody's come out definitively of where things are at, but quite a lot of discussion. If you, if you like that stuff, you know, feel free to, to follow all this on Twitter. We'll have the links, um, but also Bill French uh, has a good write-up if you want to uh, follow his, his discussions as well. And uh, there's also some discussion on table forums. <clears throat> all right. Any comments on that? Any thoughts there? Just interested to see what happens next. If they're overvalued and want to match that valuation, you would probably want to go after very large contracts to sort of get the revenue, and that would be enterprise customers. So, you know, from an outside perspective, I can see that logic in terms of, hey, we probably want to make more money. Let's go after enterprise clients, which they could have arrived at even if they were valued at what they are, you know, how much they should be valued at or whatever that is should feels weird in a financial sense, but like, you know, they probably would have went that way eventually anyway, but they might've gone that way now because, you know, maybe they want to hit certain numbers. And in order to do that, you need larger contracts. Yeah. I think it's also an indicator of just, you know, when they raised their funding, <clears throat> the markets were just crazy hot with, just tons of cash flow being thrown at these companies. Notion, I know, also raised at a crazy valuation. And it was almost like free money to them. But, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Like now it's coming back to where now they've got to live up to that target valuation that they raised at. And so they're trying to figure out how to how to live up to that number. And so that's just the reality of, of raising at that at that high of a you know, price and, and the money isn't flowing nearly as, as freely now. And, and so the revenue isn't coming, I'm sure, as easily as it was before. And, and so that's what led to all the changes. And I think we're going to see more of this in venture capital world in, in Silicon Valley. So, <clears throat> all right, let's move on. Um, this was actually kind of a follow-up. There was actually some product um, updates, and this is this is just kind of one follow-up to the pricing. You kind of alluded to it, Camille, that um, the limits on on APIs. One question is: is when are they going to start implementing this? And this has been asked a lot as far as um, you know, how do we even track it? And basically, the consensus is: there, Airtable doesn't 
disclose, doesn't show you how many API calls you're actually using. And until they do, they're not going to really enforce it. So I think these are kind of considered soft limits. Unless it's being abused, that's kind of the language I've seen is if somebody's really abusing it, then they might, you know, shut it off and because they have that clause now. But for the most part, I think people are safe in how they've been using it for, for now. I wish they would just tell us though, even even if just now for before the limit is put in place, it's nice to track where your API calls are coming from too, because you might have hooked up several different services. And um, I was in a thread with, uh, again, Bill French and others that were speculating if you had a website powered by Airtable using a portal software, such as like Softer um, or Glide or Stacker, et cetera, that's calling the API, how are they calling the API? Are they cacheing things so it's calling less often? When are they caching? Is it on every page load or is it just on updates? Is there a standard refresh time? Some of that is probably buried somewhere in their text, but it's good to just log it and see. For my Airtable instance, I've done 200 calls today and 100 are from Stacker and 10 are from the different make scenarios I have and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I would like that sort of visibility. Um, yeah. in the software now. Yeah, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they're thinking along those lines. <laughs> yep. All right. Okay, a couple um, feature. This one, I don't know if this is a bug or whatnot, but I've never seen this. That So this is the attachment viewer was giving a view limit exceeded. I'd never seen a view limit on the viewer itself and this file was only 18k so something's weird here this might have been a bug i don't know marcus if you're watching let us know if you're still seeing this i hope that's a bug i've never seen it before i don't know what limit it could possibly be referencing i i i'm baffled at this one same yeah maybe this was like a an add-on or something like an extension because that icon is not uh, Airtable icon. It's weird. I'll let Bill comment there after uh, Marcus said, since when does this exist? And since right now, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a new limit. You'll have to uh, start tracking Camille in your your database. (laughs) No, I don't want (laughs) to. Yeah, nobody else has seen it, so it's possible maybe it's coming from a Chrome extension or something. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, so we'll see if that keeps coming. All right, some new functionality. So this came out, the ability to change the primary (laughs) field. Um, So this is kind of cool. So if you right-click on the primary field, there's now a change primary field option, and you can switch it. And it basically just swaps them and uh, sets the new field as your first primary one on the left. Yes. Um, I think the previous workaround would have been to like duplicate the column, including the cell values, um, the column being your primary field, and then uh, change your primary field to whatever you wanted it to be. 
Um, and now you can do that. It doesn't change the field IDs. So you're working with the same column. They're just visually in a different order. Um, and uh, in Airtable fashion, small, seemingly random updates are sort of come in conjunction with other um, updates that kind of like rely on each other in something that I noticed somewhat recently. And I don't know if it's been pointed out yet. You can change an existing table a regular table into a synced table so long as the primary field is not a formula and it's not already being synced somewhere else. So in conjunction to this feature, if you have a primary field that's a formula, you can swap it out with something else and then change the whole table into a synced table. So two of those things somewhat recently added that can work together. It's pretty, this is a, like a quality of life improvement. Interesting. Yeah, so that's definitely helpful, although not quite. Mel, you might be watching, um, wanted more, wanted it to go deeper as far as how how it's used in link fields and whatnot. All right, I think we have one more, or we have a couple more. Array slice apparently is a new function that's now added, and there's it's there's documentation for it. Anybody mm -hmm. use that yet? I have. They uh, previously added uh, for lookup fields, include only the first or last and then a variable number, oftentimes one. So you can, of all the lookup or rollup uh, values that you're going to receive, you can sort of shorten it down to some um, fixed number. Um, very useful if you are supposed to only see one value, but for whatever reason you're, you're seeing multiple, you can now say, just give me the first one or give me the last one, or alternatively, give me the first six, if, if six was a valuable number to you. So very useful, but to Bill's point, still no split function, which would take a string and turn it into an array. We can only turn arrays into strings, which is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. And no sorting either. Sorting would make this oh. way powerful. Yeah. I, I want there to be sorting, but there isn't. Yep. Yeah. I, and I wish on top of the, I like how you can grab the most, you know, the last or the first option in a lookup field, but I would love if you could like uniqueify them and say, just give me only the unique ones. Because mm -hmm. uh, well, You, you, you can do array unique. unique. Certainly, but with a lookup field, I mean, because then you can oh, yes. keep the look and feel of the like single select if you're looking mm -hmm. that up, for example. I feel as though that lookups and rollups should be the same. They're really there's not much use to having two separate fields. Just you you're just conditionally applying a formula. Um, so I just I don't know. Uh, but yes, I, I would like to have unique lookups, and for both lookups and rollups, I would like to be able to sort. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else we got? Um, Russell brings up preview added to timeline settings. So now you can customize. Uh, is this one that you talked about, Camille? Was this in your updates last season? Um. Yeah. Yes. So there were um, updates to the timeline view um, that they've been slowly but surely adding just more and more to the timeline view. Um, this was somewhat related. Um, previously in an interface, 
you could click on a timeline block. And if you had uh, the timeline set to editable, it would show a little preview box of certain fields um, that were kind of like, uh, it was it was difficult to determine which fields it showed you um, in that little preview box. And if you clicked expand, it would open up a side sheet if you had that enabled. Um, if you turned timeline editability off, the pop-up wouldn't show up and it would only open the site sheet, which is my preferred method. Um, and then this came along that makes it easier to select which fields show up in the pop-up. My question underneath Russell's announcement is, can you turn it off entirely? You can if you set all of the fields to hidden. So um, it's, it's useful. It just kind of happened out of nowhere. And so it kind of broke some of my workflows until I uh, saw how to turn it off because it's not really... It doesn't tell you that. You just have to hide them all and, and trust the system. There you go. Good insights learned first here. I think we might have one more. Um, so this one, Scott, brings up searching in automations and other people brought up other things that you could search for. Basically talking about if you're in automations looking for data, you can search by the field type. So you can type in checkbox or single uh, select, and it will return all fields of that type. So okay. I think it's been there a while, but good refresher. Very nice. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um, okay, meta API. This is one for developers. Um, if you, if you, uh, use the meta API, they now have access to the formula information. Um, and let's see, this was right at the end of August. So the, the, um, there we go. Formula column type. So now you can actually get the entire formula value in the meta API. So that's new. And it looks like there's even a new one I didn't uh, didn't see. Um, now returns the ID of the containing workspace. Actually, this is very useful. <laughs> so if you're getting the base, it will give you the the workspace ID. That's actually I was looking for that a few weeks ago. So that is good to know. Some more meta information. <clears throat> All right, I think that ends it. Um, real quick, are you, uh, this was a survey Hannah put together, color-coded options or standard gray? So when you're creating like multi-selects, do you just use all the gray colors or do you create different colors for each option? Color, for sure. It depends on how many options. If it's like seven or more, uh, just gray. Cause I, you know, cause then I want the colors to mean something, but if I have two very similar reds, what does that mean? Gray, if it's less or fewer rather, you know, I'll put some color. I'll, I'll try to make the colors relevant as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with Camille. If the colors indicate what, you know, the option is, then colors are you know, to do or done. But if it's just random colors, no. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I'm probably the same. It depends. 
All right, let's move on. We've got a busy show today, so we'll move on, but definitely lots of updates um, of what's new in the Airtable world. Um, that's the latest on Round the Bases. We'll move on to onto our backups. It's the premium solution to make sure that your data is backed up outside of Airtable, uh, which is following best practices in the backup world. So for today, we're going to highlight, actually for the next couple of weeks, we'll highlight a new article put together by Hannah, who runs our marketing um, on Airtable snapshots and everything you need to know about how Airtable uses snapshots. And so this is useful if you've never had to use snapshots, that's probably a good thing. Uh, means you didn't uh, you know, have bad data enter your, your workspace that you need to clean up. But um, this is all the tools and how you can use backups and then also how you can use um, onto air if you want to restore from your data stored outside of Airtable, the ways that you can do that as well. Um, but typically using the snapshots is probably the easiest. Airtable has access to all your data. And so we actually recommend using that as your first um, starting point if you, if you need to go back to historical data. Um, but yeah, so check out OntoAir, OntoAir.com, and make sure you're backing up your data using OntoAir. Okay, now we're going to learn about Garrett and how he came into this world of Airtable. Awesome. Welcome, Garrett. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Um, I've seen your name in a couple of the communities. I think that you're in the built on air Slack. Is that correct? Uh, I think I'm a member, but I don't awesome. go on there often, but I do comment on, on the live stream quite often. All right. That's where I've seen your name for sure. Um, awesome. How long have you been using Airtable? Um, honestly, I don't even know. Um, <laughs> I think kind of when I first first started, you know, I was using Google Sheets and um, always kind of loved software and I think I found it on Product Hunt one day and um, didn't really have a use case for it, just kind of was messing around and slowly started migrating some of the uses that I was, um, you know, using Google Sheets for and kind of fell in love with it. Uh, previous employer, I would pay for my own um, pro plan because I liked using it so much, even if it was just for me. So, um, Awesome. And what industry is that that you're using it in? So we, um, we're a public works general civil engineering contractor. So what that means is like just when you see guys out on the road working, that's kind of what we do. Um, and the public works sector is like, you know, your counties, your cities, um, government agencies. So what I mainly use it for is to track projects we're bidding because uh, we do like competitive bidding. So the city or government will advertise a project on their website or in the newspaper back in the day. Nice. And um Pretty much if you have a contractor's license, you can bid on it. And right. so there's really no set like place to kind of aggregate. Um, there's a 
couple like they're called plan rooms where they try to aggregate but oftentimes i'm having to you know supplement that by going to the city's website and trying to find yeah projects of interest so i used to be an urban planner and i distinctly remember going after project bids and uh yeah some some of them are directly on the city's websites and you're based out of california and so am i we have a lot of different cities in California. So imagine having to check all of these different cities. And then there are certain websites that do aggregate, but it's like for anyone not in the, the industry, it's like if you were to apply to a job, some of them are on LinkedIn and some of them are just not yeah. somewhere. Exactly. And yeah, Airtable seems like a good place to put them all in. Is that something that you organized yourself or was it like you guys kind of had something in Google Sheets and then you know, you kind of slowly but surely transitioned it to Airtable. Yeah, I mean, um, like previous employers, some would just have a big whiteboard with jobs bidding. Some, you know, there'd be a person if, let's say I found a job, just kind of email where like the information's found and then one person would kind of put it in a Google sheet and or, you know, an Excel document, print it out daily and give it to you know all the estimators but um yeah just there's kind of some general information that's needed and just kind of i use those as the fields and slowly kind of mess around with it to my liking and kind of my use case awesome and are you sharing that like amongst your team so everybody can look at it every day or um yeah i have it synced to um uh, a calendar so it's okay. in all our calendars because some of these jobs also require like what's called a walk so you know a week or so before the bids do they'll meet at the the site and kind of go over some specifics and some of those are required like mandatory if you don't have someone attend that they can't bid so i have both the both the bid date and time and then the kind of job walk, if you will, and calendars. And then, yeah, I have a kind of a shared URL that I put in a folder at um, our office. And, That's yeah. super cool. Yeah, the, the sync calendar makes it super easy. So it just shows right up where yeah. you see it. Absolutely. Super cool. Are there any um, like limitations you ran into that you wish Airtable could solve or has it checked all the boxes so far so i mean i'm sure there's some things here and there but for the most part um it's limited by my time to you know mess around with it and get it to its full capability because you know for a while i had it emailing me you know jobs within the next week that are bidding and stuff like that and uh, you know just got kind of hectic and my inbox got, you know, pretty full, pretty quick. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. You ready to uh, share with us what you've got? Yeah. So first um, I'm going to share. Yeah. Hold on just one second. I'll get us back there. So Garrett's going to walk us through his live base on uh, using Airtable to bid on public works projects. So I think you still need to share your screen again. 
So first I'm going to share kind of a typical city's website of jobs. Um, this is city of San Luis Obispo and they post, you know, jobs out to bid here. So we'll have to come check and, you know, this water line replacement project. Um, so it'll take us kind of the information, job name, how much time's left, you know, date and time, just all this information. And, um, you know, I, a think, lot of, I think you might be sharing just the one oh, screen, so we might not be seeing yeah, it. Yeah, it opened in a new tab. Hold on. There we go. There we go. So, yeah, job name, time left, all this, where you can download the plans and the specifications. Um, so I'll have to take this and I'm going to present my other. So here's the base. Um, now we also, we do bid sometimes as a sub or to, you know, like developers. Um, my previous company was like all public works. You know, we never bid to developers, but the company I'm at now. So I've been kind of migrating some things and adding things, but um, so I got, you know, these kind of tabs, I call them um, stuff we're behind on. Usually this is as a sub because you can call them and say, Hey, I can't get it this Friday. Can I have till Monday? Um, but as far as public works jobs goes, so let's see that a typical one would be, let's say this job, this measure K 14 street rehab. Um, so to start all, I have a form to add bid. Um, I'm not going to open it cause it will open in a new tab, but, um, Put in the project, bid date and time, the type, who it bids to, like the agency, um, location, just any remarks, you know, like, um, I don't know, the engineer's phone number if we have questions. EE stands for engineer's estimate. So they um, will have internally estimate how big the job is. Um, and then this is if uh, one of those pre-bid walks, if it's required or not. Sometimes they have optional ones, mandatory or none. Um, and then that's conditional. If there is one, date and time, location. And then the URL, I feel like this is the most important field. So back on that one I was showing you, put the URL here. Um, attachments if there's, you know, sometimes I'll put the plans and specs in there, but oftentimes I'll just save it to the computer. And from there it goes to, it automatically gets grouped into this bidding stage. So like I was saying, this job, um, I don't know, is my, can you guys see that better? Yeah, yeah. thank you. So date and time. The city of Grover Beach, um, public works job. 
So the engineer's estimate on that one's uh, 1.85 million, no pre-bid. And then on that remarks, I kind of put just the, what they had as kind of the project description. Uh, and then um, the attachments, the plans, the specifications, and then the URL. I clicked it and it took me here. So the reason it's important to have this, if there's any addendum, so like changes to the project, you know, let's say someone asked a question like, oh, the plans are missing a page. They'll put an addendum and when the job bids, if you don't, you know, acknowledge these addendums because they're actual contract changes, then um, your bid's thrown out. Mm -hmm. This is where they post those addendums. So check the, you know, a day before the bid or, you know, the day of the bid, make sure I got all the addendum and stuff like that. Man, I'm taken back. Going too fast. Um, interestingly enough, so this bid date and time, if you're 10 seconds late, they'll throw your bid in the trash. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're $1 over the you know low bid guy, let's say Camille's bid is $10 and I'm $11, they'll, you know, as long as she's, you know, has her license and stuff checks out they will award it to her, even though I've been doing this forever and everybody in this town knows me, it doesn't matter because it's all public funding and- It's price of right rules. Exactly. If they exactly. give you a number, hit that number or go below it. Yeah. So um, I, uh, I wanted to go back to what you had said before, you talked about the difference between if it's an all public works job, or if you're applying as a sub in the industry, that would mean there are for larger projects that include things other than public works, you might assemble a team of companies, one that focuses on public works like yours, another one that's urban planners, like formerly me, one that might be architects, blah, 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 blah. Certain big companies might have all of those things in-house, but if you don't have them in-house, you might uh, go in for a project as a lead, or you might go in for a project as a sub consultant. So in the uh, instances where you're going after a project as a sub consultant or a sub, is this something that you share with your external partners, the people who are not in your company, but in your co-consultants? Um, you know, because getting everybody an Airtable license would be, you know, expensive pretty quickly, especially if they're only going in on one of these several projects with you. Yeah. So kind of to relate to that. Um, so I'm what's called the, our lead estimator and we have um, another gentleman in our office who he kind of gravitates towards, we do a lot of concrete, you know, sidewalk, curb and gutter. Um, so I, so his name's Tito. So I literally have something that's just kind of geared towards jobs he needs to be 
on the lookout for um, once, you know, I need his help on. So I guess he's kind of my co you know, consultant. Um, so I'll, I'll print this. Um, he's not super tech and computer savvy. So, um, you know, twice, three times a week, I'll print this, um, which it's, it's mostly the same inf- information, but um, little, little less. Um, I have this extra notes one for him. If, you know, there's anything specific, um, this plan swift, this is our kind of estimating takeoff software. So I'll put the job in plan swift for him to be able to do his takeoff. So, um, I have quite a few to throw in there as you can see, but, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I would share it. Um, as far as other contractors, no, because we're, you know, it'll be just one job that we might be working on together. Um, there are certain companies we do a lot of work with, but, you know, it's project by project basis. This is, this is awesome. We love seeing real world examples of how you're using it. Have you explored um, interfaces at all? Or are you still mostly working in the grid view? I do. I don't know if I want to even click that because it's, <laughs> I, I feel like every base I have is a work in progress. Um, that never stops. It's fine. Yeah. I did want, if, do I have another like two minutes maybe? Sure. Okay. Real quick. Because this is what I'm working on now, and it is so. There's estimating software that costs a bajillion dollars. Mm-hmm. The sun's kind of coming up. Um, so I, this is my estimating software I've been using for about six months now. Um, so, kind of the workflow: go from the project bid schedule. Sometimes. You know, they'll have the base bid, like everybody, this is what the job's going to be. And then they'll add alternates like, you know, oh, we if we have extra money, we'll go do this too. So if there's multiple bid schedules, then it goes to bid items. So in the bid forms, there'll be items you bid against. Um, you know, typically number one's the mobilization getting you there. And then, you know, this one for example, this wood fence, they'll quantify it. So the engineer came up with 45 lineal feet of fence to be replaced. So I'll get that in there. And then the bid cost, this is the main one. Um, I got it grouped by bid items. So let's go to that wood fence and activity. So when you build a fence, you need to get the materials. So that'll be, you know, materials. And then, you know, we need wood. Right? And did I not add that? There it goes. And it's not updating. Looks like so you resources in, and then you can apply costs and like your markup values. And this is what I've been using to kind of estimate and kind of stole, you know, some ideas from some big estimating software. 
Very cool. Replaced an expensive piece of software with their table. Nice. All right. Thank you, uh, Garrett, for showcasing that and seeing how you're using that in the real world. Always appreciate that. Let's move on. Quick shout out to join our community, builtonair.com slash join gets you in. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'd love to uh, see you join our Slack community as well. Lots of experts in there. With that, Camille is going to walk us through some automation fun. Yes, um, I have a pretty long workflow. This is just sort of the first part of it. Um, and a lot of it is built using NAN, which is um, a open source and self-hostable um, automation builder. It's very similar to Make or Integromat if you're used to those. If you're not used to those, it's like Zapier, but more sort of visual. So on this screen, you can kind of see what it looks like. It's a sort of linear process. Um, and I wanted to try it out. And so I built a somewhat complex workflow. That being uh, a concept I've thought of for a watch list. So Garrett talked about a little bit earlier, he had this workflow that he disabled, but at one point you had a running sort of digest of here are the different projects that are coming up in a week or something like that. And what I wanted was a way to create um, watch lists very easily and sort of programmatically. Uh, it's really easy in Airtable if I have a base that's, um, you know, I have one date that I want to keep track of, email me any of those dates that's coming up in a week. It's more difficult if you have like 10 different fields that you're trying to track. It's even more difficult if, you know, five people need these five fields and then these five people need these other five fields and some of those overlap. That's difficult. It's even more difficult if each person wants one email per day rather than one email per project. And it's even, even more difficult to say, here's what the values are now. Here's what the values used to be in the case of a field being updated. So to solve all of those sort of complexities, um, I've created a workflow that is sort of based on having a meta table. Um, this is a base that kind of exists by itself, separate from the tables that I'm watching, where I'm saying I want to track these three different things, all dates associated with a project, the recording date, and the release stage. So I'm filling in the base I'm watching, the table, and then the fields. You can see in this case, I'm tracking three different date fields. This one is just one field, and this is one of... Um, this is just another field in that theme table. I have a button that will take me to the relevant table based on whatever ID I put in here. You can see I'm using one of um, Airtable's templates for a podcast studio. And, you know, here's all of our different episodes. Here's who's going to be the hosts of that episode, the producer and the editor. So for a, a practical example, if one of my dates is the recording date, right, the hosts are going to want to know when they're recording. 
and the editor probably wants to know when um, their their due date is, which might be a cut due date, etc. The producer probably cares about all of those dates because they're producing the episode. Um, and the producer and editor might care about the stage it's in, whether or not it's been released or uh, made uh, just scheduled. The host probably doesn't care. They just want to know when they need to record by if they're not one of the editors or producers, just as a practical example. So the first part of this sort of overview, and I can post the very specific um, information about these different workflows is the part in Airtable that is creating a webhook. So in order to do this programmatically, Airtable has a API that lets you create webhooks that listen for particular events. Um, in this case, I care when any of those fields have been updated, not necessarily when a record is created. Um, and so this N8N scenario is waiting for a trigger to happen, in that case, a webhook being called, and then it's going through a process of uh, looking at this watch list record. Let's take the first one as an example. And um, I've pointed out here's the base and table and the fields I'm watching. Um, and it's all sort of triggered by one of these two buttons. Um, test, which will just sort of test the workflow in N8N and create slash edit, which will run the workflow entirely. Um, so just sort of talking through what this workflow is doing, this is going to look somewhat similar to Make if you're used to it. I know Scott is in the audience who's you know, an expert in Make, so this might look somewhat familiar to him. Um, if I sort of zoom in, the first thing it's doing is it's checking if the webhook ID is empty or not. And that's stored here um, in my uh, Airtable record. So, if it's not empty, just sort of refresh the webhook. In Airtable, webhooks um, expire after seven days. You have to continuously um, you know, refresh them in order for them to stay active. Um, if it is empty, I want to search through the watched table and see, are there any webhooks associated with that table? Maybe I just forgot to put in the ID. Um, and so I'm splitting apart whatever was found into an array. And then I want to filter down any webhooks associated with that table and see if any of them match the conditions I've set. So when you're setting up a webhook in Airtable, you're telling it what fields do you care about. In this case, it's this list that I've uh, provided. If there are no webhooks for that table that are watching just those three fields, then I need to create a webhook. If not, then I need to, um, or if there is one already, then I need to take that webhook ID and associate it with this um, Airtable record in my meta table so I can keep track of it. So in the event that it needs to create a webhook, what it's doing um, and there might be, you know, a better way to do this. What I found works best in um, for this use case is just to delete um, existing webhooks that match the uh, 
you know, the conditions I'm looking for in the case of when I was testing all of this, I ended up making like 15 of the same webhook. So this was sort of put in here to delete all of them because I only need one. And then when I'm done deleting, just create the one that I need and then attach the webhook ID to the Airtable record. So that's what that process is doing. This up here is just for testing purposes, which is why they're all disabled, which is something I like. Um, in N8N, I am able to sort of temporarily turn off different um, nodes in um, a workflow. So I don't need to do any of this replacing webhook uh, business. That's really only for the purposes of me testing out this scenario. So um, very quickly, I'm going to do a demo and hope it works. <laughs> so I'm gonna delete this webhook ID and I'm gonna do uh, create in slash edit. It's gonna open up a new tab, which I don't necessarily need to look at. Um, it's going to return all of this gobbledygook, which I don't really need. Um, much like in um, Make or Integromat, you can control what that webhook response page looks like. I didn't need to because I'm the only one who's going to see it. So I just know to get rid of it. Um, if I go to my executions tab, um, I will see that this uh, just fired and um, I'll walk through what it did. So. It was triggered when I clicked that button. It saw that uh, the webhook ID was empty because I deleted it. Then it was searching through that watch table, finding um, all of the different webhooks associated with that table. There were three items that were um, hooked into that table. All three are those three. Then it filtered down which of those existing webhooks match the fields that I'm watching. There's only one, as there should be. And because there's only one, fill in the webhook ID um, with the one that exists. And so you could see it was repopulated. If it didn't find any, it would have just created a new um, webhook. If it found too many, um, two or more, it would have deleted both of those and created just one to replace it. So that's what this um, alternate branches. And the next time um, I sort of go over this workflow, we'll talk about it actually um, logging field changes and sending those out via email to the associated persons. Very cool. This is awesome. I haven't, uh, I, I think I tried this out when it first came out, but it's come a long ways. <clears throat> I, it is much better than a lot of the promotional material um, shows. A lot of the older, like a year plus demos had like a start trigger that was just always there. And then whatever trigger it should actually be, in this case, a webhook response as a separate node, they got rid of that. So um, don't be discouraged, I would say, by some of the things you might find in some of the tutorials uh, that you might come across. I think it is a much better product than it used to be. Um, and so far, I really like it. It handles arrays differently than Make. Um, so there's a little bit of a learning curve if you're coming from that world. But I think it is super useful. And um, I like a lot of the different pre-built nodes that they have. And I'll leave it there. Awesome. And we'll do uh, part two in a future episode. So a little cliffhanger.
appetizer for you. Thank you, Camille and Ali and Garrett. Thank you for joining. Grateful to have you on and learn more about yourself and your business and how you're using Airtable. Look forward. We'll get an update from you sometime in the future. I can't so see you. Yeah. Thanks, Garrett. Thank and you, guys. That, uh, that concludes today's show. We'll see you next week for episode two. Episode two. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, OntoAir Backups, automated backups for Airtable. We'll see you next time on the Built on Air podcast.